And uh, this is week three of this series. And so what we're hoping to do is really teach like a practice, teach a way to be in the world. To ask the question, uh, like, how, how does followers of Jesus, how do we live and move and breathe and have our being? What is it about a follower of Jesus that is unique in these practices that Jesus teaches us, these ways to be a, become apprentices of him? If you've ever been an apprentice of someone, learning how to do a task, this is what we're doing every week. We're followers of Jesus. Sometimes followers of Jesus get somehow regulated to, like, I invited him into my heart and I show up on Sunday, and that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. No, following Jesus is the same rules apply as to a child when you, when you play the game follow the leader. And somehow in church we've complicated it. Like follow the leader is like he's the leader and we do what he says. And what we see of all the different things, one thing that seems to jump off the page of scriptures right away, one thing the spirit seems to like communicate over and over and over again throughout time and history, the followers of Jesus we lift up and go, that was somebody who got it, who got it rightish. We see forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. They're masters of forgiveness. Masters of reconciliation. Masters of what we're going to talk about today, absorbing the pain. I was being able to absorb the pain. Anyone familiar with the, uh, the art of judo? The, 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 the martial art form judo. I'm not in any way an expert in reading like one article about judo. does not make me even really informed enough to talk about it. But what I've known about judo for a long time about this art form is this one thing, is that what is kind of central to the form is using your enemy's strengths against them. So Batman, any Batman fans out there? All right, so people got really excited about Batman. I want to make a joke. It's like worship, like, eh, Jesus, resurrection, Batman, Batman, amen. <laughs> Kidding. Just a little bit of guilt, not too much. If you watch any, like, Batman scene, for all the little punches and jabs and things like that, right, anytime it's some, like, big, like, overwhelming, you think about Batman that we all love, right, he has no superpowers, if you're unfamiliar with superhero stuff. And so, the, the, like, most gruesome of supernatural bad guy will come at him, and he will find a way, essentially, like, if I were going to kind of put it into physical form, like, as they're throwing all of their strength and weight at you, at him, he is able to somehow both like, like bring that in, move, channel that into something that all of that strength and all of that energy, all of that muscle, and turn it against them. Be able to pin them, hold them, whatever needs to happen. That's sort of what we're going to talk about today when it comes to our own pain and unforgiveness. Matthew 18, verse 21. Turn with me there. Matthew 18, verse 21. This is the passage, uh, and in a couple weeks, when we wrap this series up, I'm going to land uh, on why we've called this series 70 times 7, if those of you who've been wondering about that. 70 times 7. This is where this comes from. Then Peter came to Jesus. Peter's one of Jesus' disciples and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother and sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, this was a normal practice. You had... There, there, there are these sort of laws that got baked in uh, for a number of reasons. Again, in a couple of weeks, we'll sort of dive into this a little deeper. But that was the expected amount of times you would forgive somebody who had wronged you, the same person who continues to wrong you. There's something sort of that feels free and liberating about that because you're like, look, if this person keeps coming back in the same way every time. At some point, they're not learning. And it was almost thought of like some, some aspect of their own healing would be just like, yeah, enough. 
And seven is this like epic number in, in Hebrew thought. Again, in a couple of weeks, we'll get to why that seven is there. But Jesus answered. So Peter's asking Jesus, and this is my thought, is he kind of knows every sort of regular rule Jesus seems to upend. If you're new to the Bible, Jesus tends to take like the religious rules and turn them on their head. Get at the heart of why they're there. So whenever people are like, oh man, I, 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 I want to love Jesus, but I have a real hard time with the church. In a lot of ways, Jesus did too, the, the sort of church of his day. <laughs> Jesus had a hard time, I'll say, with fundamentalist, organized religion in a way. He was taking what he saw as a brokenness in his own tradition and was bringing it back to the heart of the matter, which is why a lot of you are at Sanctuary Church today. I'll tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Jesus is, is, is saying, look, there's no limit. He's using a bit of hyperbole here. There is no limit. Now, he's doing a few other things and referencing some old prophecy. He's basically saying this is now the forgiveness of sins in this big way is actually here. You can know what God is like. This, the God of the universe, is a God of forgiveness. And so basically what he's saying, if you're taking notes, is... Jesus is saying, look, become forgiving by nature. Stop trying to like slap some law or rule on forgiveness. Be somebody who is a master of forgiveness. And then he explains, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wants to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold this, by the way, we don't get the humor in this story. We're like, ah, oh, 10,000 bags of gold. That must have been a thing. Like, this is him being, like, silly. This is sort of a joke. This is, like, essentially a trillion dollars. It'd be like, as if somebody owed you a trillion dollars. So a man, uh, as it began the settlement, a man who owed this master 10,000 bags of gold, a trillion dollars, was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay the master order that he and his wife and his children and all that, that he had be sold to repay the debt. So there's a debt that is owed. So in other words, the point already out of the story in ancient years is he's not going to be able to pay this back. That's not a thing. There's no way, even by being sold into slavery somehow, that this debt would ever be repaid. Verse 26, at this, the servant fell to his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Now, this is a more realistic number. So we've got one servant, pleads for forgiveness from his master. Master's like, all right. And then this person's servant comes, and there's a debt there of a hundred silver coins. And he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. And we hear the same line. Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant? Uh, just as I had had on you. In, 
Uh, in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. From your heart. Again, Jesus is saying, you need to become a master of this. From your heart. Luke 23 tells another story. Two other men, both criminals, were led out of it led out with him to be executed. So this is Jesus on the cross. In a few weeks, we're going to put all our attention here. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified Jesus along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Now, who is them? Them in the story. He says, and then they divided up his clothes by casting lots. He's looking at his executioners who are stripping him naked, gambling away his clothing, and saying, oh man, you guys, you guys, you guys, as they mock and shame him. It's like, you don't get it. And he forgives. Really important, whatever your idea of God is coming into this space, that we start with Jesus. This is the entirety of the Christian tradition. Whatever tradition you came from, whatever ways you feel like things got jacked up, like in your religious past, this is so critical, is that we look to Jesus and go, this is what's at the nature of the universe. We as followers of Jesus go, this is what's most true. And what's most true apparently is the God of the universe laying down everything to the point of guilt and shame even for us, and then in that moment saying, I'm gonna cast you into hell? No, Father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing you and i are commanded to follow his example to forgive it's rooted when we are told when when your pastor gets up here for a moment and spends four weeks talking about forgiveness this is all meant to be rooted not in some secondary abstract command that someone thought this might be a nice way to live it's all rooted in what has been done for us whether you own it or not you have been forgiven. All that you have done before and all that will come, there's forgiveness available. Ephesians 4. So now we're moving into like the early church. This is where we start to take our cues for what it means to be a, a community of Jesus followers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So I don't know if you guys know all about that language. How do you grieve the Spirit? Well, he explains. Get rid of all bitterness all rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. Notice how Paul groups all of this together. He groups all of it together. Anger and rage and brawling and slander, every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Mike is the best. This is why unforgiveness is not only an emotional issue. Paul's grouping of all this together, but spiritual blockage. He's like talking about how everything is connected. When you harbor this stuff in your heart, rage and anger and brawling and slander and every form of malice, like you're cutting off your relationship, obviously, with other people. If you're an angry person, if you're somebody who is like, diff, like you, you recognize these things are in your heart, we tend to not connect the dots here with our own relationship with God. But like we know about loving other people, 
is connected with loving God. In the same way, I've, I often talk to folks who are having a hard time connecting with God, making sense of God, listening to God, wrestling with what it means to be in a relationship. There's all sorts of like intellectual things sometimes that are going on, but more often it's all this other stuff. You've got anger and rage in your heart. And I think you're pretending that that in some way does not connect to your own spiritual blockage. That does not connect to your own issues. We are to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. And then it goes on. Following God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the call. This is the invitation that we have before us. So I want to give us a working definition of forgiveness because we haven't had one of these in the last couple of weeks on purpose. Wanting to set the stage of what's good, what forgiveness is and isn't, and landing that in a place of, okay, then what do we really mean when we say forgiveness? So I believe this is on the screen. Maybe. This definition of forgiveness, no? Okay. My personal act to release the one who sinned against me from my personal right to collect on the moral debt to pay them back for their offense. This is my personal act to release the one who sinned against me from my personal right to collect the moral debt for their offense. Instead of giving them back the pain they gave me, I absorb the pain into myself with God's help. I absorb the pain into myself, giving it over to God. There's like four dimensions, as far as I can tell, at least four basic dimensions to what it is to forgive. And one, the first one is what most people think about forgiveness, is I need to forgive that, the, the other person. What about us? Like, what about me do I need to think about in terms of how I forgive another human? I need to forgive. I need to actually, everything we've talked about the last couple of weeks, I need to learn how to set that person free from what they've done. Two, it's about forgiving ourselves. This often gets tied up and we're not sure where one ends and one begins. Anyone ever had a hard time just letting go of the way in which you've made a mess of things? Forgiving ourselves. If you're honest, you're never entirely the victim. Almost never. What does it mean to forgive myself, whether that's a big chunk of it or a really small sliver? It's necessary. You have to live with the consequences of your own freedom. If you're taking notes, if you're forgiving others, forgiving yourselves. Number three, forgiving life for being unfair. Like, we got to forgive just life for being unfair. Does anyone get this? Like, anyone struggle? Anyone, any parents in the room? Parents in the room. Like, what's one of the first things that you've said to your children once they're kind of old enough to grasp this concept? Like, life is what? Life is just not fair. This doesn't feel like a very like, spiritual thing to say. It doesn't feel like something that we want to own. And we definitely don't live this way. But I think we have to, on some way, like, forgive actually life in some just abstract sense of like, it's unfair. Have some sort of reality check of I'm going to die. Things don't always work out. Like I was born in, I, I wasn't born into a household where I had a leg up. I wasn't born with any privilege at all. It's easy to get angry 
to get angry and then let that just sort of corrode our hearts. They were born into a picture-perfect family. I was not. And you live with a low-grade anger. It's not actually even directed at anybody. You can't really be mad at that person. They didn't do anything. You're just mad at life and learning how to let go. This is all critical if we're going to be people who take our pain like judo and turn it into something beautiful. Number four, forgiving God for not saving us the way that we want him to. This, for a lot of us, especially who are followers of Jesus, is big. Now, this isn't about you needing to forgive God, to be clear. But I'm going to use this language um, mostly because I, I think, though, a lot of folks have this like, really warped sense of like they, God owes them something. But I think we actually have to, like the Psalms, if you've ever read through this book in the Bible, the Psalms, I think we sometimes people pick up the Bible and they think of it as this like beautiful propaganda book. It's a mess. I mean that in the most holy of senses. Like an entire book of the Bible, just about like two couples, like trying to like get to a point where they can get it on. Like an entire book. These are the worst summaries of these books ever. Entire book, lamentations of somebody just shaking their fist. Why God? The Psalms. One writer says they're about 50% blues songs. 50% like, God, what are you doing? I am so angry. I don't get this. Why? 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 We harbor anger against God and then we nurse that grudge and if you do that, you will cut yourself off from life. And so you got to be able to go, oh my I, I, God, you, this happened. And I actually, in my heart, have to trust you. I was at, a, at, a, at one of our home churches recently, and somebody just got some miserable news. Awful news. And it was one of these moments where I just felt compelled as I was like praying for and trying to minister to this, this person just to like be able to take a breath and go, it's okay to be mad. It's okay to be angry. It's okay. Because if you're going to have any sense of hope and moving forward in freedom, you're going to be have, to have to in some way say, I, 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 um, I'm okay that God's not saving me the way that I want him to. We know, as we've addressed throughout this whole series, is that no one gets to opt out of forgiveness we all get hurt. Nobody comes into adulthood unwounded. Nobody. If you think you're unwounded, the odds are that you are not self-aware. Seriously, if you're here right now going, yeah, not really wounded. I mean, literally just on a base level, like all children are called, most um, psychologists say children are pre-neurotic. In other words, they don't realize how much you have messed them up till late teens, early 20s. Like, no matter how good a father I am, I will wound them. Hopefully less than someone else. <laughs> right? This is why we have to model humility, model, like, I'm sorry, model, forgive me, because I'm broken. The point is that whether you come from tragedy or you even come from a great family, we come into adulthood beat up, ignored, rejected, demeaned, Maybe it wasn't mom and dad. Maybe it was the school bus. I still feel like I'm living out of pain of like being bullied for listening to DC talk on the school bus. Reference point for Christian kids. 
this pain is not dealt with, if it's not dealt with, it, it, does, it doesn't go away and it leaks out to the people that you're closest to. It leaks out on your spouse, on your kids, on your friends. And so the question isn't how do you get through life without being hurt? Some of us live our lives like that. I have the temptation to live my life like that. How do I live my life without being hurt? No, the question is when you're hurt, how do you deal with it? When the pain comes, do you have the resources available? Are you like nestled and, and like drowned, abiding in, soaked in, whatever you'd want to use as a metaphor, in the love and forgiveness of God. Because if you are constantly rehearsing, this is what's brilliant about Lent. It's almost like a time of year we rehearse, I have been forgiven by God. I need his mercy. I'm becoming aware and I'm making myself aware of my own propensity. That's why we fast. I want to be aware of how I'm even hooked by things, how I'm not free, how I'm in need of God. I rehearse that because Maybe things are great right now, but they won't always be. Maybe you wonder and are confused. You're just like, well, I'm just wired this way. I'm just Irish, and that's why I'm so hot-headed to my spouse. You're not Irish. You're broken. So we know all the Irish people in their pure form are not broken. I'm Irish. So what we don't transform, we transmit. What we don't allow God to heal and do something new with, we are going to pass it off and pass it on. You've heard the phrase, hurt people hurt people, right? Yeah, you're all hurt. <laughs> Welcome to church. It's cliche, but like, there's so much data to support this. 90% of abusers were abused. Not all hurt people need to hurt. <laughs> to be able to absorb, to be able to do what... Like on a, on, a, on a social scale, like Dr. King has done. You read Dr. King's writings. You read about a follower of Jesus who recognizes through Scripture like the, 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 the beauty, the power of Christ absorbing the pain of the world, realizing that the path of nonviolent love is the call of the Scriptures, of the follower of Jesus. Whether it's like two warring nations, the civil rights like dilemma, or it's like two co-workers, we can't be locked in a vicious cycle of tit for tat, of relational pong, of back and forth. At some point, right, it's like someone posted this and then somebody came back with this. Someone blew up a, a, a terrorist camp and all of a sudden there's an airplane flying into a building. Someone, like we talked about last, last week, had a, had a little offhanded word, and now three years later, those people don't talk to one another. Somebody hurt one another, and they didn't say anything back, and they just shunned them, gave a cold shoulder. Now their relationship is dead, and it feels like way too much work to try to put it back together. One way, right, the way is to not pay back. It's recognizing that violence may keep our ache in check. Violence may keep the pain in check, but it doesn't ultimately work. Only the nonviolent, self-sacrificial forgiveness and love that we see in Jesus is the only way we learn to absorb this. Ronald Rollheiser says this, any pain or tension that we do not transform, we will retransmit. In the face of jealousy, anger, bitterness, and hatred, we must walk, we must, I'm sorry, we must be like water purifiers holding the poisons and toxins inside of us and giving back just the pure water. I love that. 
in the face of jealousy, anger, bitterness, and hatred, we must be like water purifiers, holding the poisons and toxins inside us and giving back just the pure water, rather than being like electrical cords that simply pass the energy right along. Hashtag, you are a Brita. This is the way of Jesus. This is the high road to release the debt, to not ratchet evil up. So many stories to share, and I need to wrap up because of our dilemma this morning. But I have met person after person I could go through a number of examples for you, but of just how, like, you had such a difficulty and a fatherlessness issue in your, in your uh, growing up, and it just became resentment and anger and bitterness, and you don't know how to treat women, and it's just a wreck. And then somebody else who's gone through almost a parallel experience, a friend of mine, who has like developed this incredible like mentoring program, and is somebody who has given their lives to care for fatherless youth. I know this stuff's close to home, but it's all just real. I mean, I've met people who just learned they weren't able to have kids. And it became something that just like derailed their marriage and caused them to fall into such wreckage. And instead of being able to sort of forgive, like life is not fair, maybe God might have something redemptive in this. I've seen people just spiral into into real darkness. And other people, like a Adopt, enter into the foster care industry, ask such questions about how to redeem this reality in their own life and seeing them flourish and thrive and recognize that God would do something with their broken biology. We know all of this intuitively. You didn't need me to get up and talk for 30 minutes about this. The, 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 the invitation is for us to take this seriously. Take this seriously. As we age, we can begin to trim down our spiritual vocabulary and eventually we can get it down to three words. Of all the things we could talk about as we age, we could boil it down to three words, Ronald Rollheiser says. Forgive, forgive, forgive. To die with a forgiving heart is the ultimate imperative. We should not delude ourselves on this. All of the dogmatic and moral purity in the world does little for us if our hearts are bitter and incapable of forgiveness. Most elderly people I know fall into two categories. They're just either the best or the worst. (laughs) For me, they are either the best or the worst. I, I don't know if you've experienced it. They're either like, laughing and joking their way into the great beyond. They're at rest and at peace or they're angry. Like put the controller back at that right angle or I won't be able to watch Wheel of Fortune. Like they're bitter and they're angry and they're replaying everything that's ever gone wrong in their life and their family or they're free. Because at the end of your life, you realize you get a sense of like, I just need to be able to let go. Life is unfair. Sometimes God doesn't save me the way that I wanted things to be saved. I need to set that person free because it sets me free. (sighs) To become masters of this means 
that we have to begin at the cross. Father, for you have forgiven me, for I did not know what I did. There are people that have harmed you and maybe did not know the imprint and impact they've had on your life. Forgive as you have been forgiven. One writer says, to forgive is to be human. I'm sorry, to hurt is human. To forgive is what? Divine. So um, Pastor Greg is going to lead us into the communion table tonight. What we want to do is spend a few minutes. I just want you to name in that, those four places of forgiveness, where do you need to, what, what do you need to name? Where on that continuum of forgiving others, forgiving yourself, forgiving the fact that life is unfair or doing a little wrestling match with God? Where are you in light of some of the pain and wounds in your own heart? So Greg's going to lead us through a time of reflection and communion as we, uh, as we head toward our close today. Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. Forgive us. Help us to know, appreciate, realize the depths, Lord, of what you have done for us and allow that to transform 